Businesses tend to focus on revenue, profits, and getting loyal customers. But how about healthy workplace culture? You're listening to How I Turned the Corner, where Kendra Prospero leads eye-opening conversations that most business leaders avoid. The right way to address employee challenges. Listen to real-life stories of workplace struggles, giving you valuable advice on what must be done to make every employee truly satisfied and fulfilled in their job. This is for leaders who want to create great company cultures and for employees who want to do something to put an end to suffering at work in the most practical ways possible. Here's your host, Kendra. Some of us run businesses that are doing really good things, but not necessarily mission-critical businesses, like the world would fall apart if it doesn't work. For me, I will say to my team, it's just HR. Nobody is going to die. And I say that because it keeps my team's perspective and my perspective and our nerves in check. However, our guest today doesn't really have that same luxury. People aren't necessarily going to die if the technology fails, but lives will definitely be changed in a significant way if it doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. Jean Fay, the CEO of ThreatX, is joining us today to talk about how he gets his team of 50 people or more to believe as deeply about what they're doing as he does, because one mistake could make a significant difference. You see, ThreatX is, ThreatX is a company that does the special work of cybersecurity inside APIs. Now, if that's a term you're not familiar with, don't worry about it, but it's basically a really complex piece of technology that's kind of like a middleman for how different software platforms, platforms talk to each other. If this middleman doesn't do its job, then there could be threats from all sides. ThreatX's technology solves some of the biggest challenges in cybersecurity, preventing hacking and fraud. The challenge, though, for Gene's team is that they can't afford to have even one weak link. So how does he do it? Last year, they were nominated as a best place to work. And that's hard to do when you're also scaling a culture, too. But most important piece is making sure that everyone is giving it their all. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Gene Fay, welcome to How I Turned the Corner. Thank you, Kendra. I appreciate that. And thank you for the awesome introduction. If you're looking for a job in sales, maybe you can come work for us. I, I think that's better than some of my team can do in terms of introducing our company. So I appreciate that. But, well, uh, I, but behind the scenes, I actually used to be a programmer. So okay. I still am a geek at heart. And so technology is my, it's still the thing that drives me. So I love talking about technology, but I like talking about people and their jobs even more. <laughs> Well, I, so, I feel the same way. I've got a true passion for cybersecurity and a true passion for trying to help people find jobs. So yeah. I, there's an HR aspect to my mind as well. Yeah. Well, obviously you wouldn't have the success if it hadn't worked that way. Sure. So tell us, I mean, you have had a lot of success over the years, a serial entrepreneur. You just took over this company two years ago, but like why this company now? What was it yeah. about? It started as the, I've done six, well, five startups. And I was thinking about doing another one coming off a company just getting bought by private equity. And I was talking with time my friend who eventually became our chief product officer, but it was thinking about starting our own company and starting from scratch, literally getting some whiteboards, getting some initial angel funding and working on an idea that then build to a feature and then hopefully to a product and into a company. And in the midst of that journey, uh, a recruiting firm reached out to me and said, hey, we're doing this search for a CEO position for a company called ThreadX in Colorado. And I said, well, that sounds interesting. And I met with the two co-founders and really liked both of them. 
dug into the technology, dug into the positioning of it, met a lot of the team and really liked the rest of the team and uh, came to the conclusion with Tom. I said, well, we can go build some technology and stare at whiteboards for the next two years, or we can take some great technology and the start of a company and we can help the two co-founders and the team accelerate the company. So ultimately for us, it came down to that decision point and we got really excited about ThreadX and joined and our chief product officer just left for some medical reasons. Uh, he's doing fine, but decided on his own that he didn't want to do it anymore. So uh, now we've got just shy of 50 people and we're going to close some funding here in the next couple of days or be around of funding and continue to grow the business. So it's been a great choice. I love the company, love the team. Our net promoter score for our employees right now is 92. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, so yeah, so yeah that's, that's amazing. a really exciting number. Yeah. Well, that's incredible. So all right, so let's dive into this a little bit more because uh, we work a lot with companies that are either VC-based or private equity-based. And personally, my experience has been that the leaders really struggle with kind of how they maintain culture after a big round of funding, especially because there's usually a lot of pressure from the VCs to hire, 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 hire. There isn't necessarily a process in place for hiring. And so you end up maybe with a group, big group of people that have sort of this background, but not necessarily the same drive. And so, I mean, talk to us, how do you guys do this? How do you get these rounds of funding and then grow so enthusiastically? Right. I think about it as a starting point of having a defined culture, which is a tough thing to do because cultures can be rather nebulous. But we started pretty early on working with our marketing leader at the time to define a, a core set of 10 tenets, which are on our website. If you go to ThreadX, dot com, go to the company page, you can scroll down and we share them with the world. And they talk a lot about what we think are the 10 most important things of our culture. And that's a great starting point. And then you have to live to those values. Yeah. And that's what I always say to new employees, to current employees. I say, if, you know, if I'm as a CEO, not holding myself accountable to the values, or if their peers aren't holding themselves to these values, then we need to you know, have a little bit of, I don't believe in radical candor because I think that's rude, yeah. uh, but I think we should feel free to reinforce what the norms are. And if you start with a foundation that is built of concrete, not sand, and I think that I've had the pleasure of working with a whole group of people here that have really poured that foundation for us, that we're at the point now where we do feel comfortable that we could go to 50 from, a, we can go to a hundred and add another 50 people we can go to 200. And I think that core foundation is there. And I, I always relate it back to, I'm 53, so I'm old enough to remember a company called EMC, which is unfortunately, or fortunately for some people, part of Dell. The two co-founders, I joined the company when it was a multi-billion dollar company, but the culture that Roger Egan and, and uh, I'm sorry, Dick Egan and Roger Marino, excuse me, I should know those names better than I do. The culture they started when they literally started the company as couple of people was reinforced when there were thousands of people in the company. And I think that that's, they started with a very strong sales and engineering led culture with some instilling values. Now, some of those values were not things that I cared about or, and I didn't instill them in my future companies, but it always reminded me that if you build a strong enough culture from the beginning, you can scale with it. Now, so again, some people came into the EMC culture and absolutely hated it and said, hey, it's a cult I don't want to belong to. And then there were people like me who loved it. I, I spent five and a half years there. I left. I was then joined a company that was acquired by EMC, went back for another two and a half years. So I think that's for founders or for CEOs. 
that are going to be forced to hire, whether it's for funding or just for great growth, you have to instill that culture from the beginning because if the culture doesn't exist, there, there's negative things in the culture. Those things are going to be amplified, especially as people get further and further away from the people that are championing, whether it's the CEO, whether it's the leadership team, whether it's our culture committee. As you add people, it's harder and harder to reinforce those norms that you're looking for in your culture. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. We've had many of these conversations now over the last couple of months and culture is and, and values come up over and over. And I know for me with my business, I came from IBM and Hewlett Packard. So similar background and you know, in terms of these just big businesses, Hewlett Packard had a phenomenal culture when I joined in. It filtered through the entire organization. It was amazing. And then I went to IBM and I was like, whoa, there's a big difference between two cultures. Mm. So Um, So when I opened up my business, I really saw the same thing with the values. It's interesting, though, that like you and I have that experience, but yet so many founders and entrepreneurs kind of poo-poo that and they kind of think of it as like this woo-woo sort of thing. How did you, and maybe not so much with ThreadX since you took over, but with other businesses, how did you establish your values? Yeah, I think I'll use ThreadX as the example, and I I don't think the co-founder would mind when I even say that he didn't find this particular area of the business important for them, they were fighting for survival. They were going to funding and the idea of pouring concrete and thinking about culture was something they just never had time to do. And just recently he said, you know, I'm really glad you did that. I didn't necessarily believe it in the beginning, oh, wow. uh, but I've seen some massive benefits because of it. And I think that you talk with our employees, that's what they value about the company. It's not necessarily their stock, which is becoming more worthwhile. It's it's that feeling of belonging, that appreciation for what they feel appreciated, that they're not afraid to show appreciation to each other. Startups and early stage companies always start with euphoria, crashing to despair, (laughs) to eventually reality. And if you don't have a team that feels appreciated during that roller coaster ride, and there's not some underlying thing, which is more than just a paycheck, it's more than the potential value of the stock, but it's more innate to human nature and, and that act of feeling a part of a team and going to battle and winning and losing together. Those are the things that ultimately decide what's the, the argument is the best technology hardly ever wins the best company. And I think some of the best companies have built some of the best cultures. Now there's always exceptions to the rule and, or there's cultures that people have joined that they were super successful companies, but they didn't, those cultural norms didn't fit their cultural norms. So I think that's a piece of it. But for me, when I'm board advisor or a board member, and I start to talk about this, especially with very technical technically led early stage companies, I just think about you know the environment they want to create for just their engineers and what are the things that motivate them and they are working for other people and how to instill those types of things early in. Because if you instill some of those things that they'll evolve, but with five people, it's easier to get 25 people around the table. If you have no cultural norms and values and direction around that area, it's that much more difficult. Now, hey, lightning strikes and you know you have some phenomenal product and nothing else matters and equally is true you have the unbelievably best culture but you don't have product market fit you still fail so (laughs) it's no guarantee of success but it can definitely help a company weather some pretty severe storms so let me make sure i heard you correctly so they were there really weren't these values before you came in and you put them in so is it is it 
or you helped? I apologize. There wasn't anything written down. There wasn't anything really specific. I mean, every group will create their own level of a culture, but it wasn't a conscious decision. So when I came in, I cherry picked some things that they were doing and I brought things from my experience and said, hey, here's what I want us to become. Here's what we are. Here's what I want us to become. You know, let's get buy-in from the, the 14 people that were here yeah. when I when I got and when new hires join, I, I'm trying to more and more take them through that because in the beginning, it kind of got instilled them through osmosis, but now we're getting a little bit bigger where I've got to, here's where the tenants are, here's what they mean, and here's why they exist within our company. And that gives me a lot of hope, Jane, because I mean, my experience has been that if those aren't established right at the beginning, it's very hard to carry them through. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you did that is very hopeful to me. <laughs> so I think it's so important. I mean, it's really become the number one thing that's made my culture what it is, is being so clear on our values, visiting the values every year, revising them if we need to, and then hiring and firing and managing and training and governing and promoting and compensating against those values. Yeah. So I just think that's really cool. I'm yeah. really impressed by that. I don't hear that very often. That's cool. Well, so tell us what are some of your challenges now with your team? Like, what are you experiencing at 50 people that you didn't have before? it's the communication layer. It's more one-to-many than one-to-one. Um, at 14 people, when I got here, I could, you know, if I had, uh, we had something going on or I had something specific I wanted to get done, it was easier for me to call a person or call a, a mini meeting. And at 50, it's not overwhelming, but it's just another level of complexity. And I can't be assumptive that because I told a couple of people that now the company knows that. So we have always used the Monday all-hands meeting to distribute information but I think we've got to continue to reinforce things, even if they're said once in those meetings, because we can't assume a group this large really gets it. So that's the other piece of it. The other piece is we are a remote company. So 50% of our employees are in Massachusetts, 25% are in Colorado, 25% around the US and one person in the UK. And the ability to build and enforce culture is that much more difficult. So we've been doing all hands meetings virtually, but at least twice a year, getting everybody together and doing more social than you know PowerPoint slides and kind of dog and pony shows because we've got to build those fibers, connective tissue on more of a relationship base. Because I, I always say Slack's a great way to not like somebody. <laughs> uh, but if you've had a couple of beers with them and you've had a nice dinner with them and you've got to know that they've got kids and they've got a life outside of work and you have a new level of uh, sympathy and empathy for that person, that is so critical, especially when you go into a stress situation. Mm-hmm. In a stress situation when I don't know somebody, if I don't know my counterpart Neil very well, and we're just slacking back and forth and it's really intense and things I could say are really could be misinterpreted. And if he's never met me in person, doesn't know anything about me as a person, I don't think about him as a person, it can really go off the rails. So investing in those events when COVID has allowed I think has been super helpful in, in helping us to build and reinforce that culture. Yeah, no, we've seen that so much. I mean, it's so much of the work we've been doing lately is helping build that relationship between people and teams, especially when they've been more remote mm. and, and then they've grown a lot. It is more right. challenging, but not impossible at all. It's just a shift right. now in work. So yeah, that, that's great that you do that. And I'm glad that you're spending the money to fly everyone to be together. I mean, I look at it like, well, we're not paying for an office space anymore. Yeah. 
reallocate yeah. the budget, right? Right, right, exactly. So no. Celebrate in style instead yeah. of having an office. <laughs> I, I, haven't, I haven't gone to the extreme, but definitely some board members that have encouraged me to get rid of the office and just do four or five, six meetings a year where you get everybody together. I'm not quite, we're not there. We're going to actually renew our lease for another year. But most of the team only comes in two days a week. Nobody's required to come to the office. So it's that type of environment. But it does, having come from places, I had a company acquired by IBM. So I spent a couple of years at IBM or even the smaller companies I've been a part of were, were traditionally centrally located, mass bulk of people in an office environment. I think that that's more difficult to enforce your culture. I Having three daughters, uh, I think it's for at least my one daughter that's going into business, I think it's going to be more difficult for her to build relationships. I was talking with a friend of mine. I worked for a company for a very short period of time, like literally like a couple of months, and it just wasn't a fit for me. But the second in charge of that company has been a dear friend of mine, has been one of my mentors now for 25 years. And if I were a Zoom employee who went in and out of there in a month, I would have never developed any relationship with him and I would have missed opportunity. There was a lot of knowledge transfer uh, between the two of us that's happened over the last 25 years. So I think people sometimes think in this new world that everything's virtual and everything's equal. I think they're different. There aren't a massive amount of benefits, but I think there are lost opportunities, and especially for young people, if you get the opportunity to work in an office at least a couple of days a week, take advantage of it because- mm-hmm developing relationships with your peers, being next to somebody and learning in that tactile function that you can't get in Zoom is a massive opportunity. And and equally building relationships with your boss, your boss's boss, your boss's boss's boss. That's nearly impossible to do in a Zoom of hundreds of people. Whereas when you're in an office, it's a great opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I've had some interesting lessons I've learned through that as well through COVID because I'm really good at reading people and I can usually pick up on some of their things pretty quickly. And then, especially in a recruiting environment, like that works really well because I can quickly eliminate or, you know, or move right. someone forward. Sure. And I thought I was doing really well with that, even over Zoom until recently. And now I'm realizing like, I've got to make that final interview, a face-to-face interview, no matter yeah. what. Because you yeah. just, there's just little things like, I can't tell if you're looking me in the eye right now, right? right? right. We're not, we're looking at a yeah. camera. Yeah. And so, matter of fact, I, if I look you in the eye, I look down, right? Right, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, it's just interesting that you don't get to pick up on those things. So, I, I do agree with you. That's that's yeah. good advice to still make time for that FaceTime with people. Yeah. So, tell us a little bit about like what were you like as a younger CEO and younger founder? What would what be some of the things you're most embarrassed about that you're you're not yeah, afraid to share here in a public setting? So just as a younger executive period, a lot more emotional and lead with emotion, which is, I think, my superpower, but equally my kryptonite, because there's a whole group of people that react really well with that, especially leading a sales organization and sometimes a marketing department, but doesn't go so well when you're leading a bunch of introverts on the engineering side or even extroverts who are engineers, but don't lead with their hearts. So understanding the audience as opposed to, is it worked at three companies? It doesn't mean it works at the fourth company, but early in my career, I I did believe that and helping myself to evolve into a more thoughtful and more practical in some ways. I'm still a dreamer. I'm more optimistic about this company and my personal career than I've ever been. 
And I think that that's something that differentiates me from my younger peers. But I think that that's something that's always been instilled in me. But I, I think it's just being more thoughtful about not thinking that using my loud, booming voice as a way to motivate everybody is the only way to motivate somebody because sometimes it's after you say nothing and that can be equally as powerful and motivating to certain individuals. So it, it's been an evolution. My work two companies ago, the company we sold to IBM, I became the general manager of the group and used many of my sales techniques to lead a 200 plus person organization. It, it went fine because people knew me for a long time. But coming into ThreadX, I knew that that wasn't something I was going to be able to do. And there were candidly times that I did some stuff that I was embarrassed. I've apologized to people that still don't talk to me to this day because of things I yelled at them about or things like that. So it's definitely a journey of, uh, I won't say I'm ever going to be self-actualized, but try to move up Maslow's hierarchy of, uh, of leadership, right? And start to think about that now. I'll still always be an emotional leader because that is my, I've got to be genuine in who I am, but equally, you know, when I go into the red zone, recognizing that and then making at least a conscious decision that I'm going for it, as opposed to that blind rage decision of, oh, that felt really good, but man, okay, now I've got to apologize to some people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the classes we teach is on dignified conversations. And the reason I use that word as opposed to like difficult is mm. that, I mean, coming from IBM, like behind closed doors, you just got beat up all the time. And, mm. but then there'd be the occasional time when it would happen in the hallway. And I just remember feeling like you look like an idiot when you're doing right. that, right? When watching an executive beat up somebody or vice versa. Right, right. And it was like, that's just not, we want to, everybody needs to keep their dignity. <laughs> right, right. No, it's well said. Yeah. So that's good. So, how, what have you done then to kind of help yourself grow through those things? Have you done education or what have been books uh. you've read? Trying to think what I've read recently. I just read a management book that was, and I'm blank on the name of it, in and out of the box, but I can't remember the name of the book. I apologize. I I think for me, ultimately, but it's been a part of my life for a long time. It's just running. I don't meditate, but I run a lot. So I was working on some things recently. They weren't going my way. I was having a call with a peer of mine, and I ultimately said, you know, it's probably best that we end the call here and pick it up tomorrow because I feel better going for a 10 or a 13 mile run and revisiting this conversation where I know I'm going to be in a better position. And I also recognize that I'm really good at eight o'clock in the morning and six thirty, seven o'clock, though I'm still working. I'm not always at my peak, especially when it comes to my patience and my ability to be more thoughtful in how I react to things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's great. I appreciate you at least being mindful of it. That's excellent. Yeah. Step one, right? Recognize the problem. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. I interviewed someone yesterday and she said her mantra is to basically look at what is she contributing to the problem that she's trying to solve? That's a pretty profound way to look at problems. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so now what's next? I mean, what's coming up for the future for you and the team? Yeah. I mean, it's the funding, if all goes well in the next couple of days. We oh, wow. Congratulations. Our next round of funding. Yeah. So we were literally been negotiating final negotiations this week and wires should hit the next couple of days. And it will be not a mass hiring because this group doesn't necessarily want me to do mass hiring, but we'll be working to start to build the business. So we just had an offsite last week and starting to build out our plans for the second half of the year and revising the plans, I should say, based on the funding and starting to think about how much faster we can go 
So really excited about that. And then my own podcast, which is the uh, Executive Security Podcast. We, yep, I heard a couple of Yeah, we've just released a bunch of episodes and uh, we're lining up a lot of great guests on that side. We're starting to think about how to kind of take that program to the next level. And that's been something that I just have a real passion for, which gets the idea of combining cybersecurity and uh, helping people find jobs. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I get to do something I like on that side. And my marketing team's been super supportive and and they've been just driving the heck out of it. So we're so excited about the second half of the year. We're going to double from a business perspective at a minimum, maybe grow by two or 300%. And I think we've got, you know, in spite of inflation worries and recession worries and and lots of other macroeconomics and the, and the darn war that uh, I feel so bad for the people in Ukraine. So I just know I'm blessed for where we are right now, no matter what's going on on the macro side of things. So we're excited about what's going to happen for the second half of the year. Mm-hmm. What do you foresee is kind of around the corner, some challenges you're going to have with the team? Or do you think about that? I mean, I'm not short-term worried about it. Not to say that there won't be bumps in the road. There always are. But I go back to the, the culture committee that we've set up, the NPS tours that we've been doing, the conversations that I've been having and the, that the, the managers have been having with people that I think people are all super bullish. And even if we hiccup this quarter or next quarter, I think that the people aspect of it is a thing that we collectively can control and not something that I'm losing sleep over. There's plenty of other things in the business that I lose sleep over, but I've just been absolutely blessed to work with a great group of people and just interviewed two great candidates today that I think would be great ads. So I think from a people perspective, I just am blessed. Oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. That's lovely. <laughs> well, that's really great. Well, let's end on that amazing yeah, note together. Awesome. This was a great conversation today. Yeah. So thank you so much, Jean Fay, for your time. We wish you the best with this round of funding. You know, I always say that deal falls apart before it actually happens. So hopefully that has already happened. It has, and it's back, <laughs> and we're feeling really good. But thank you, Kendra. Thank you for your efforts to put on this podcast. And I hope your listeners get a little bit of value of our conversation. And uh, thank you very much for asking to be a part of it and look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining this exciting episode. We hope this discussion brings you closer to a better, healthier, and more rewarding workplace everyone deserves to be a part of. If you want more content like this, be sure to subscribe to the podcast at turningthecornerllc.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to share this with your friends in the corporate world. And together, let's make this space a hub of growth and job satisfaction. If everyone loves where they are, they can always give their best without regrets. That's all for now. See you on the next one.